Hi, and welcome to American Snippets. I'm Barb Allen here with co-founder and partner Dave Brown. Today's guest is Paul von Zillbauer. Welcome to American Snippets, your source for inspirational, motivational, and selfless stories and interviews from exceptional people across the nation. And now, here's your host, Barb Allen and Dave Brown. Hi, Paul, and thank you for being here. Hey, Barb, it's great to be here. It is good to see you again. I first met you back in 2006-ish, somewhere around yeah, there. When that you, sounds about right. Yeah, like a lifetime ago, literally for me, uh, when you were still working with the New York Times and you were assigned to cover my case, my husband's case. That's right. The murder trial. So um, what I appreciated about you right off the bat was that you... Uh, it took me a while to realize I appreciated this, but it's like your, <laughs> you know, your brutal honesty and your absolute commitment to just laying out all the facts, even you know, facts from the other side of the case, which I didn't necessarily uh-huh. care to hear about. Um, but right. I, I realized, you know, in hindsight that it actually did set you apart and made you somebody that people could rely on to give the straight story and the truth. And you seem to have carried that commitment over into pretty much every aspect of your life. I mean, your, your work, one piece you did on the prison system, right. Was mm-hmm. what got you nominated for a Pulitzer. Right. And you have um, covered some pretty dicey topics. And then you showed that same commitment when you decided to leave the New York times and start your own company. And right. that is something that takes a lot of, uh, it takes a lot of courage. People don't realize maybe you wouldn't even, say that you had courage, but you know, it's a scary thing to do to jump out of that. And what you have started is something so cool and so unique, and it has uh, accomplished such great things. I'm very, very excited that you're uh, letting us share your story in our forum. Uh, you started Road Monkey in 2008. Eight. Eight, 2008. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit of what Road Monkey is about? Sure. Well, uh, we call it um, Road Monkey Adventure Philanthropy is the mouthful of a name. Um, I've always tried to find a shorter way to say exactly what it does, but I haven't found uh, a shorter way to say it. And what it does is it creates um, expeditions, physically challenging adventure travel trips that are overseas. We work exclusively outside the United States that combine, on one hand, a real adventure where we put people in a position to test their boundaries as they see fit physically, culturally, intellectually, and so forth through an adventure. And then we combine that with a volunteer project that uh, usually typically lasts three to four days. And the whole idea is that it should be sustainable. It should be working with your hands, uh, working with the uh, members of a local community in need. And that the work should be something that we can accomplish in those three or four days, which is always a challenge, but also something that will be sustainable and not just what I call a tourist photo op, you know, uh, which unfortunately happens a lot in the adventure travel space. You have companies that started off as adventure travel companies and then realized that so many people want to also volunteer when they're traveling and so started offering those things, but didn't do it in a thoughtful way. And you can actually, as you could probably guess, Barb, do more harm than good if you don't do your volunteer-ism uh, very, very thoroughly and if you don't think through it very carefully. So 
Road Monkey is, was, is designed to do both the adventure travel, something good for all of us going overseas and traveling, and also uh, the volunteering, something giving back uh, to local communities that we explore when we're on vacation. So how did you even come up with this idea and what about the idea was so compelling that you decided, hey, I'm going to leave this hugely successful career with the New York Times and just go start this company and Mm. do so with the confidence that you would gain the clientele and the following to be sustainable? Well, you know, that's a big question and a really good question. And um, I'll try and keep it brief because there's a lot of parts to the answer. Um, I left, I left the New York times because, you know, uh, unexpectedly, I really didn't, I didn't want to, and I didn't plan on, on it, but, um, the opportunities at the paper, um, began to diverge from, uh, the opportunities that, that I wanted to have at the paper. So the way I describe it is, you know, I had, and still have a, what I call a radiantly imagined future for myself as a, and everyone should have a radiantly imagined future. And, you know, oftentimes that conflicts with uh, the future that your employer um, may see. When it's all in alignment, it works out great. And, you know, things feel pretty good. And when the paper began to say, well, we don't really want you to do this. We rather would want, we just want to keep you here. And that didn't feel good to me. And I had a choice to make about whether to stay and, you know, accept it's future vision for myself or be true to my own radiantly imagined future. And I realized that there was a conflict. And so I realized over, this is over months, I had to sort of come around to the idea that I would have to leave the New York times. I can't believe I'm going to do this. I spent my whole career trying to get to a paper like the times or the wall street journal or the Washington post. And now I'm going to like, I feel, you know, forced, I'm forced to leave. I wasn't actually forced by the paper, but my own conscience. And so as I thought about, well, you know, if I have to stay true to my own vision for myself, what is it that, what, what is that vision? And one of the things I, that had been brewing in my mind over the last couple of years, as I kind of felt the, the paper's vision for me uh, diverge from my own, um, I, I thought, well, I really, you know, one of the things that makes me feel most alive in the world is traveling outside of my own comfort zone, which typically means traveling outside of the U.S. Um, and and uh, increasing my international IQ. What does that mean? Uh, that just means, you know, uh, trying to put yourself in a different culture to the point where it's not exactly, it's not, it's not utter hardship, but it's not always, it's not five-star hotels either. It's pushing your boundaries, making you understand more about the way other people live, other people think. Um, other people speak the whole thing and also just exploring the world and seeing new things. Um, and so I thought if I could capitalize on my, what I thought was my ability to push into that realm to a pretty, to, to a degree that is more, I don't know, I don't know if extreme is the right word, but more, more, uh, rigorously than most people are willing to push. Um, it seemed to me that there was a hunger among you know, people in general, people who work in offices and sit at computers all day, especially to get out and use their vacation time to do something that was a little bit not rougher, but um, more physically challenging, gave them a sense of, you know, pushing their boundaries. And so I thought I could use 
what I did, what I thought was a pretty good skill of mine in doing that already around the world, you know, because as you mentioned with the New York Times, I was in Iraq, I was covering the war there, I was covering the military justice system, I was covering the um, the New York City jail system. Um, all of those things, you know, just piqued my curiosity so much that I thought other people who enjoy their curiosity being piqued would also enjoy being able to go overseas and not only do something demanding for themselves uh, as far as an adventure, but then also to be able to give back and see the product um, of their volunteering, you know, and the, and the, the fruit of that almost immediately. So that's why I did it. And that's why it shows the, you know, the mission that road monkey has. Um, I frankly wouldn't know what else I could start on my own. Well, that seems like a perfect fit and it's worked out brilliantly. So clearly it was a good decision. Uh, where, where was your first expedition? The first one was in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was, it was in Northern Vietnam actually. And what did you do there? Well, we, uh, Vietnam is our flagship expedition, um, of course. And what we did there is we did a cycling trip through the Northern Highlands, which is, uh, Vietnam is the, the, it has a shares a Northern border with, um, uh, China and also with on the Northwest side, um, with Laos. And what we did is we took our mountain bikes. We, and we, we had a group that mountain bike through the Northern highlands of Vietnam. And then we built a playground as the volunteer project for a group at, at an orphanage, um, with a volunteer, with a nonprofit partner, which is what we always do that worked an American nonprofit that works, um, in Vietnam to help orphans. And so we spent five days on mountain bikes. Uh, I think we had one day off or half day off. And then we spent four days building this playground for these orphans. So you just said something that I wanted to touch on, because I think this is one of the things that sets you apart, as you mentioned, from other um, companies, maybe organizations who who say they offer the same thing, but they don't quite mm-hmm. offer the same thing. You partner with local nonprofits and you mm-hmm. make it a point to not detract from the locals ability to work or function to say you're, you're not going to come in and pour a concrete floor for a schoolhouse and take a job away from locals right. who may have done that. Can you tell us a little bit about the steps you take to make sure that is done properly and, yeah, sure. I'm glad you asked. It's, a, it's a, such an important thing to think about. Well, first of all, what we do is uh, we, like I said, first and foremost, we don't presume that we know what the local community in need actually even is. But but what that once we identify one, we don't presume to know what they want uh, to work with us to create sustainably. For example, we may think that, you know, uh, building a a uh, clean water well in a part in a region of Africa. That's what we want to do. I'm sure these people who doesn't love clean water. Well, that's great. But if you build it, you know, and the people um, help you, and then two months later they don't use that well anymore because it's either too far away, or the well has been contaminated, uh, or it's you know it's it's um, the object of uh, hostilities between two different villages. You know, you, you have to be able to think about uh, what you don't already know and understand that you don't know what you don't know. And so working with a nonprofit partner is the first and most vital step toward creating a volunteer project that has 
just the barest chance of success. And then after that, we asked the nonprofit partner, we, for, well, uh, we, you know, Road Monkey would vet that uh, partner to make sure that are they transparent? Are they just seeing us as a money pot that's going to bring X amount of dollars, um, but are they really going to spend it wisely? Because, you know, we're there for a few days, but the this community, this, I should say, this um, organization that we work with will be the the one that really makes sure that the project is really sustainable. And then we, Road Mikey will limit what the kind of project that it will do to make sure that it's a truly sustainable project. And I can give you examples of that versus something that sounds good but isn't sustainable. And I can tell you what I think that means as well. Okay. Go ahead and tell us. <laughs> okay. I don't want to keep, I don't want to, you know, be, be talking for 10 minutes without you asking a question. Um, <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks for the help there. <laughs> uh, for example, um, I'll give you an examples of things that we've been asked to do okay. uh, by volunteer organizations in the past, all, you know, in good faith, but that we've declined. Um, we've been asked to uh, pay teachers salaries for three months. Te you know, uh, paying teachers salaries is an important thing to do anywhere in the world, but especially overseas where teachers often aren't paid well, if at all. And there are more children than there are teachers. But we don't do that because it's not sustainable to hand over a lump sum that may be great for three months. But then what happens after that? Nothing's been gained. Um, we've been asked to teach English, which I, you know, think is uh, not a great, is a terrible uh, volunteer project for the amount of time that we're there, which is to say under a week. You can't teach English, yeah. you know, in under a week, much less under several months. Um, we've been asked to teach uh, or to, to teach dental hygiene. Again, who wouldn't want to, you know, dental hygiene is a great thing, but you can't necessarily do it well. And sustainably in three, four days. So right. what, what does sustainable mean? It means that the project that you've created, whether it's a playground, which is a great example of what we do all the time, and I think we do it well and it is sustainable, or we build a clean water network that is specifically designed by and for that community in need. Um, and we build, um, let's see, uh, revenue generating uh, farms, for example. A lot of times, for example, in Nicaragua, and in Vietnam, um, communities don't have the money to actually start a, f a small farm. A farm could be something like the size of your house, you know, like the footprint of your house. Not very big, but they don't have the money to buy the fence to buy that keeps the animals from eating all the plants you plant. That's important. They don't have the money to buy the seeds um, and to hire the people and the, and the help just to create the infrastructure. But once, if we can provide that and build it with them, then they can start building, uh, for example, in Vietnam, we've, we've built greenhouses that will grow herbs that a community uh, can sell at market. And suddenly, you know, they've been able to corner the market on these uh, traditional herbs in this village. And that's great. That's a revenue stream they didn't have before. So we, we build playgrounds. We build what, what I call nutrition streams because uh, in Nicaragua, for example, we, we can create for a f a less than a thousand dollars uh, a farm that a fishing village can build and grow tropical fruits and grow vegetables that their children can then eat for breakfast and lunch and dinner 
um, that they didn't have before because they didn't have the money to build a fence that would keep the cows out, like I said, from eating eating the plants before they're, they're ripe. So it's, it's that kickstart that we want to be able to create that then allows the community to take it from there and keep it going. So you are actually doing things that leave a lasting footprint on a, in a positive way on these people's lives. You could say you're changing the lives in villages where you provide some sort of enormous resource like that, um, you know, farms. That's gotta I could feel, say that. That's got to feel pretty good. You know, that's yeah, not I a mean, bad it, day's work. It definitely feels good. I mean, you can ask, you know, road monkey clients and they'll tell you um, for a lot of people, it's a, it's, it's fair to say. It sounds hyperbole, but it's not. It's fair to say that for some, it's a life-changing experience. I do resist saying things like, you know, change, uh, change people's lives or change the world. I don't. I mean, I think we, I know I've changed, and we've. I should say, Road Monkeys changed some of our clients' lives. I'm not going to presume to know how many lives we've changed among the communities in need we work for, because I think the word, the phrase, you didn't use this, but often the phrase uh, "change the world" is way overused, just like the word hero, which I'm sure you can appreciate. Yes. You know, uh, not everyone who does something great is a hero. Not every uh, organization that uh, does something helpful changes the world, although it's used way too much uh, and has become less meaningful over time, I think. What we try and do is create, create the, is be the catalyst for the possibility that there could be a connection between our clients and you know the people locally or that like for example i'll just give you one small example in nicaragua uh, a few years ago uh we built a playground up in the highlands of really it's one of this i think it's known as the most remote village in nicaragua and while we were building it there was a young girl who would come around and um sort of watch us and she became friends with one of the female clients of road monkey and uh, the client was named Stephanie and Stephanie didn't speak Spanish, but she came to realize that this girl's hair was falling out because she had a dermal dermat dermatological disease of some kind that her, her just normal hair would fall out. Um, and all she needed was a $12 monthly bottle of shampoo, a special shampoo wow. for this to stop. And so Stephanie told this girl's mom, look, I'll, I'll pay for, you know, the shampoo every month. It's not that, it's something I would gladly do. And because of that, like, ha did we change her life? I don't know. We, you know, Stephanie probably changed this girl's life to a degree for the better. And that's the kind of change that I think is realistic and that we're trying to be the catalyst for. That is great. And something like that. And I don't know if you've been on the receiving end of that, but as somebody who has been on the receiving end of, of you know, what seems like a small gesture on one person's part, but translates into an enormous gesture to the recipient and maybe it doesn't change their entire life, but it certainly changed the trajectory of their life or the outlook on their life. You know, you, it's hard to maybe sometimes realize how one small act can change how one person perceives the world or perceives their life or gives them the confidence that they maybe wouldn't have had the day before to go out and take that step that will effectively help them change their life. So it is all a part of a process. Um, but not everybody goes out there yeah, and just I says, agree. hey, I have this idea. I think it's pretty cool. I'm going to go do it. Did you ever have people look at you and kind of shake their heads and smile and say, oh, Paul, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? Like, you know, did you get any of that? Or um, did people just I didn't go with it? I, 
you know what? It's funny. I, I, I'm sure I did, Barb, but I don't, I don't know if I got it spoken to my face. I probably got it after <laughs> meetings with uh, companies or people whom I wanted to partner with or I wanted Road Monkey to be sponsored by or uh, invest in, frankly. You know, and, you know, investors, as they should, give you pretty raw, honest, talk about honest um, dealing. They'll tell you where you're not really um, attractive to them. <laughs> And, you know, I got, I got that, which, you know, is fair. That's the way, that's the way it works. But, um, I think, you know, almost, uh, the other, I got, I think now that you asked me, I think what I got more was the opposite, which is everybody saying, oh, that's so great. You know, that's good for you. And then really not, I'm sure they meant it. Um, but you know, not really, uh, not really thinking about, what if they think it's great? What is what is it that you can do? Whether it's with Road Monkey or not with Road Monkey, but on your own, to take what you think is great and act on it. I mean, if you think it's great that um, that there is this company that will take people overseas to allow them to volunteer for communities that need help, well, um, you don't have to go on the you don't have to go on those trips to prove that you think it's great. But um, what is it in your own life that you're doing? even among the people in your family, among your friends or people you don't know to bear out your support of that idea. And that's kind of where I, I challenge people, you know, go with it, go with us or go with somebody else or don't go at all, but do something to make a difference to people who aren't necessarily asking you for help. Nice. So you are married and you're a dad as well, correct? Yes, um, I am. Your wife has gone on expeditions. I think you proposed to her on one of those, correct? That's right, Barb. Well, well researched. That's pretty cool. So, did you meet her on a on an expedition, or no? We we met in a hotel uh, lobby in New York City um, the day after a massive snowstorm, um, and we met by chance because we were both meeting other friends of ours uh, and we just happened to sit on the same couch to meet our respective friends and um, our her friend was late my friend I was late to meet my friend who then went to get coffee for me and my friend and then I sat next to my wife Esther my now wife Esther and I started a conversation um, and that's what that's how that happened and so, then I took her to Kilimanjaro on the, we do, we do, Road Monkey has an expedition to Tanzania where we climb Kilimanjaro and then we go to the island of Zanzibar to do a volunteer project. And uh, Esther came with me on one of those uh, Kilimanjaro Zanzibar trips. You set the bar high there for everybody looking to propose, by the way. That's kind of a tough one. That's <laughs> kind of a tough one to be. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's true. And high, high <laughs> meaning, um, just to, to make pun, I, I gave her that and proposed her, to her, and I gave her the ring at the top of Kilimanjaro, which is the highest point Yeah, in I mean, Africa. if you're going to so, go for it, just do it all. Do it all the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, you had to catch your breath because it's 19,000 feet. So um, it was no small feat to, like, find a rock to sit down on and then tell her to come over and then whip out this ring that was in my backpack for a week, you know, while we were climbing it. So. That's fun. That is, and that's a great story to carry back with you. Are you going to take your yeah. son on any road monkeys when he's bigger? Um, you mean my daughter? Your daughter? I'm sorry. See, not so well researched. I knew as I said it, as I said it, I'm like, shoot, he has a girl. Who but- does your research, Barb? <laughs> Who does it? 
Uh, although it's funny, she looks like a boy. So everyone whom we see on the streets, like, oh, very cute. Little no, guy. I, I totally well, knew. I can't you. even say that. I knew it was a girl, and I just said something. I have boys on the brain. I can't imagine anybody having a daughter. <laughs> but God. no, so I understand. Is yeah. she no, going I mean, to come with you? Um, well, I hope to lead by example for my daughter. You know, um, she's already exhibiting troubling signs of being way too adventurous for her own good. So <laughs> shocking. Um, you know, she takes from both her mom and me, I think, in that regard. But um, I want to give her the opportunity. I certainly want her to think beyond uh, boundaries. And I keep coming back to that theme of pushing boundaries and so forth. And I think it's so important to feel, especially in America, especially nowadays. Um, but, you know, it probably in, in the lives of most people who may hear this podcast, you know, it's easy to stay within your little bubble, however you define it. And I think we're all better people and we can get out of that bubble and and push our boundaries. And I want my daughter to le learn that lesson early. I think I think she has a good chance of learning that with you two as parents. Um, one hopes. So wrapping up, this is a question I had to ask. I saw because one of the things I love about your site, did you write that? Did you write all the write-ups on that? Because I'm a little jealous of the writing. You know, it just made me of laugh. Of course I wrote it up. Of course you wrote it. <laughs> No, I didn't know if you got too big, you know, you farm that little workout. Who else could, who else would do that? Yeah. Someone, no, it was me. but you know, you're like, um, would you say you're bozo free and you don't accept any yahoos or posers? I love that. It's hysterical. Um, but to right. that effect, I mean, while it's said kind of in jest, I also know you're really serious. I mean, have you ever turned anybody away who's said that they want to go? Have you ever maybe, you know, hammered home the finer points of the trip and have they then like said, Oh, on second thought, no. Or have you said, you know, have you had to say to somebody, I, I don't think you're really um, suitable for this trip, but probably in a nice yeah, way. Yeah. Um, I, it's, yeah, it's funny. I, I have said that, but not said it directly. You know, as you, as you probably can guess, you don't have to say you are not roadmap material in order to get that message across. Right. You can say it in a, in a subtler way or just, give them the facts to make up to allow, allow them to say it themselves. But um, actually, you know, starting a business after having never started one, um, you learn a lot of lessons the hard way. And one of the lessons I learned the hard way was it's never, you know, the first time I, 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 I used to uh, speak to all of the clients personally before, you know, they, they signed up and our website, as you may know, doesn't allow an instant sign up. They have to actually send an email requesting to join an expedition. And then I, as the founder, would talk to them and, um, you know, give them the lowdown and, and sort of sell the idea to someone. And then, then they would sign up. But the lesson I learned was it's when you, when I get the impression that this person would not be a good fit, it is never worth ignoring that red flag, taking their money anyway. Uh, and then just hoping that it works out because it never does. It always comes back to bite you in the butt. And I've had clients who are just, you know, who uh, clearly did not read our website as closely as you did, uh, didn't didn't see the part about bozos and yahoos and so forth, and didn't understand the mission. And, and basically were shocked that we would put them in a position where they have to cycle a mountain bike up a steep hill in Vietnam, for example, in humid, hot weather. Um, and we're shocked that they would have to get their hands dirty building uh, an organic farm in Vietnam. Um, those are things that are essential to what Road Monkey does. But 
Um, you know, there are people who are, you can call them high maintenance, you can call them whatever. Um, I don't want to put anybody down, but if, if you're not interested in doing that kind of thing, then Road Monkey may not be for you, which is what we also say on the website. You know, it's not for everyone, and we like it that way. Um, but uh, I've had to tell people on the expedition that I've learned to set expectations in the very first day of the expedition so that there are people saying later, well, why are we doing this? You didn't tell me about that. And I would have to say, well, actually, yeah, we did. And we're doing it because that's the mission and it's clear. It should be clear to you, but it's not clear. So we become more selective about who uh, we choose to give the opportunity to. That um, is also going to be excellent experience for you in raising teenagers when they get to that point, <laughs> because <laughs> you can prepare them a thousand times and they're still like, well, why are we doing this? You know, so you're going to be, yeah. you're going to be uh, very ready for that when it comes. So that's good news, offering you a little bit of encouragement there for, <laughs> for the you know, it's, it's funny you say that, Barbara, <laughs> because um, now that I'm a parent, which I'm, I'm, my daughter's only 17, 18 months old, but. You know, I find myself doing the same thing to her that I've learned. I, I did it the other way. I learned from clients how to be a parent instead of learning from parenthood how to treat clients. It's set expectations early. Make sure that there's 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 baseline so that when there are complaints, you can come back and say, remember when we had that talk about X, Y, or Z? Yeah, so that I've learned from my business experience uh, how to set expectations for my daughter. Yep, it all it all plays in together. Um, so I'm just going to say thank you again for being part of American snippets. We are super excited. American snippets is our road monkey sort of, um, we are highlighting people who do extraordinary things and hoping that it encourages other people. Like you said, not everybody has to go start a road monkey, but there's something that everybody can do within their own reach that, um, will accomplish something that, um, leaves a positive impact. And these are the stories that we're telling and we're getting a great response. So, um, if actually, if somebody wants to find out more about road monkey, your website, you want to let us know what it is. Sure. It's roadmonkey.net. Roadmonkey.net. Pretty much. If you just put road monkey in, you're the only thing that comes up. So that was another brilliant play. Um, yeah, that's right. That works out well for you. That's right. Now, do you personally guide the expeditions or what do you call it, adventures? I used to, Barb. I used to you do all anymore. of them, yeah. um, but that was when I was single and right. could get away with that. Um, it's, <laughs> and now that I'm not single and not uh, and a parent, it's right. obviously a lot harder. So uh, Road Monkey has expanded so that other people are actually leading expeditions now, which is a good thing. So how many employees do you have? Um, we have... I wouldn't know if they're more like contractors who are intimately associated with the company. All right. How many intimate associated contractors? You know, five different people we go to to lead expeditions. All right. That's cool. Uh, So uh, thank you again for for being here. I hope everybody goes and visits Road Monkey site and finds out about it. Maybe if you can't go, send in a donation to help fund some of their their adventures, their trips. And maybe when the time comes, I'm still waiting for my right window of time to go on one. And it's absolutely on my bucket list. You got to stay in business. I don't know, probably another five, six years before my kids are older and I can hightail it out a little without destruction awaiting me. Well, I'll need my own road bunky expedition to come save the, save my house when I get back. Great. Well, I mean, Barb, you've, you've, you've shown uh, all of the qualities of a road monkey in the time I've known you, which is to say, like, as you pointed out, like 11 years now or so. So I think, you know, what you've done is also an example for people. And I'm, I'm grateful to be able to talk to you here and I hope it works out. 
Thank you very much. Hey guys, Dave Brown here, and I have a few more things to mention before you take off. First, I want to thank you for joining us on this podcast episode. And if you want to learn more about adventure philanthropy and Road Monkey, please visit roadmonkey.net. You can find more American Snippets stories and interviews just like this one at americansnippets.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe so you can get notified about our next featured story and podcast episode. If you subscribe at americansnippets.com forward slash Barb's book, we'll send you the first two chapters of Barb Allen's controversial first book, Front Toward Enemy. Kimberla Guilfoyle from Fox News says this book is about motherhood, love, loss, and the American spirit, which drives us to seek triumph against all odds. There is a humanity to the author's lens that makes the narrative so compelling. So be sure to subscribe and check out that amazing book by our co-founder, Barb Allen. Also, this episode is brought to you by Real Estate Worldwide. Real estate investing is one of the fastest and most lucrative ways to generate cash flow. The key is having the right investing blueprint to follow, and Real Estate Worldwide has the education and marketing platform that can help you achieve results fast. Kent, the founder and CEO, is a good friend and mentor, and he has been instrumental in my success as a real estate investor, and I'm confident he can have that same impact for you as well. If you want more info, just go to americansnippets.com forward slash R-E-W-W and register for a free training. Okay, that wraps up this episode. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Take care. 